This interview was conducted before Pastor Itwa Igodalo lost his beloved wife, Ibidun. Our thoughts are with him and his family at this time. Right, welcome to today's episode. <laughs> episode is such a traditional TV word of retail religion, a special series on the future of faith. I'm expecting shortly uh, my guest, Pastor Itwa Igodalo, who is the senior pastor of Trinity House. Trinity House is a congregation based in Lagos. Um, Pastor Itwa Igodalo has been uh, uh, one of Nigeria's leading Christian leaders for decades. Um, he's one of the more easily recognized faces in and of Nigerian Christianity. He has influenced thousands. I mean, nobody has done the actual numbers. I would not doubt if there were millions of Christians of the generation before mine and mine over the past few years. So I'm waiting for him to join us on today's podcast. For those of you who are joining me for the first time, Retail Religion is uh, basically an audio-based platform. It's part of the With Today network of brands. With Today focuses on mind, heart, and spirit. We have the Daily Vulnerable Daily Videos, the With Today Weekly Interviews, and Retail Religion. Ideally, it's key flagship platform was supposed to be the radio show on Radio Now, that was supposed to start in May. However, because of COVID, that radio station hasn't launched fully. So what we decided to do between Y Joy Inc. and Radio Now was to do this crucial series, one of the most affected um, sections of society during this crisis have been religious institutions, pastors, churches, mosques, temples. might be a revolutionary time for churches, uh, for mosques, for temples, for all kinds of people of faith, even for atheists. So how do we cope with this wild wind of changes that might be coming for faith now and in the future? I'm excited that Pastor Itwa has joined us. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much for inviting me and God bless you, really. God bless you. God bless you too, sir. I'm very excited and honored that you could join us. I know how busy you are in these times. I was explaining to the audience that part of this series is to talk to some of the more, most prominent and more respected, and as far as we are concerned here, more thoughtful religious and faith leaders across Nigeria. Because one of the most affected sectors of society in this time of COVID have been communities of faith. You know, people have not been able to go to church, or mosques or temples for the past six weeks, even though some companies have opened up, some open spaces, places of faith have been affected. So it may be a radical time for religion, and that's why we're hosting these conversations. I was going to ask you, sir, first question. Do you think that this will have a fundamental effect in how people practice, especially Christians, practice and worship? in the future after this time 
Well, it will. I'm not even sure if we will fully go back to how we were before. And if we do, I think it's going to take a stretch. It's going to take about two years to fully go back to how we were before. But even by that time, there will be new rules and new terms of engagement and so on and so forth. So we better, need, better start getting used to it and better start planning for how it is going to look like uh, in the future. Uh, even from mm. largely a health and well-being perspective, we should start thinking of that. So there are people who have said, well, if other, so if other gatherings, if other institutions, if other organizations are allowed, you know, and despite the health and safety concerns, why not churches? Why not mosques? Why not places of faith? Why not places where people can get comfort and meaning? What would your response be to that? Well, I'm not sure if other gatherings have been allowed thus far. The only places right. that have seem to have been allowed are markets. Mm -hmm. And I think yes. markets and supermarkets uh, are yes. those that have been allowed. In supermarkets, it's a little bit more regulated. A lot of them allow people in 10 at a time, 20 at a time, 5 mm -hmm. at a time, depending on the floor space that they have. And they've been quite strict uh, mm -hmm. about that. Some banks have done the same, asking you to use electronic banking and ATMs uh, a bit more. The only place that seems to have broken that jinx in Nigeria are the markets. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that is so is that most people who go to the market are daily paid mm -hmm. people. They get their tomatoes, the whole worth of the tomato is 20,000 naira. They must buy and mm -hmm. sell it that day, make their one or two mm -hmm. naira gain and go back home. And it may take them 12 hours, 10 hours to sell 20,000 tomatoes. So it's very difficult to resist or to keep those people away so that you don't even mm -hmm. have a total crisis. And uh, mm -hmm. government has been nonplussed as to what to do. My governor in Edo State mm -hmm. said he relocated the markets into schools okay. and other places where they could sort of try and social distance them. In Lagos, right. they had an uphill battle, shutting the market mm -hmm. today, opening it tomorrow, shutting it today, opening mm -hmm. tomorrow. How effective that would be, I don't know. Whether uh, right. limiting the, maybe if you limit the amount of time people have to socially interact, it might help stem the pandemic. Maybe that's the thing. Right. But really, um, if we're not careful, our people from years of um, economic neglect might take to the streets. Mm -hmm. Some people in America, they just totally disregarded what Donald Trump was trying to say, and they made their own law. Yeah. So it's not even yeah. a, a local problem. It's a general mm -hmm. problem everywhere. But the ones that we can regulate, the ones that will still listen to voices of reasoning, the church, mm -hmm. the parties. I can't remember when last anybody went to a thousand-person party. All the event centers mm -hmm. are shut. Okay, yes. Uh, yes. Church, nobody's going there. So if that is going on, the churches and the mosques just need to bear up and face mm -hmm. and prepare for the post-COVID mm -hmm. period where they begin to allow us to come back together bit by bit and how we're going to do it and how we're going to ensure their safety in the church and mm -hmm. safety in the mosque and safety everywhere. Uh, it's just that the markets, the people there, they went a bit out of control. It was a decision 
between having a riot on the hands of the government yeah. and risking yeah. a few more people contacting this virus. I think the government yeah. needs to err on the side of, well, let's at least let people move around and then hopefully mm -hmm. when the uh, uh, sicknesses come, there will be enough isolation and enough uh, medical response to uh, uh, respond yeah. to that. You know, sometimes you take a decision like that. Uh, you are between yeah. the devil and the deep blue sea. You decide which way you are going to go. Right. So, so if, if you mentioned that, and I, I like that you said that because that's actually thinking in far in the far medium term that it may take two years for for any settling or adjustment in the way that the church used to handle itself will happen. In that case, and this is, and, and I'm saying this to you particularly because, of course, apart from ministry, you're also respected as a professional in other spaces. What then happens to the massive real estate holdings? and capacity that churches have across the nation. You know, Pastor um, Idoho Leomadi was telling me about the 1,500. I mean, and you, you know about RCCG in, in depth as well. So, you know, this massive network across the country. What happens with that massive real estate if we still have to close down these spaces for a few more months? If it's just for a few months, it's okay. If it's for another five or 10 years, that we now yes. have to do a structural, structural decision. You know, when I was in Christchurch many years ago, we invested yeah. a lot of money in quite a big building. But by the time yes. I moved to Trinity House, my thinking was different in that yes. a lot of those buildings, they are big eh? and they're just not economically useful or viable. You, they're so big, you do two services in them a week. Mm -hmm. We're looking for a functional building where we could also hold events and make it revenue generating at the time. Church people, mm -hmm. church people need to change their thinking a little bit in that they feel they own the building. It's totally a spiritual atmosphere. No other activity mm -hmm. must take place here. And honestly, I had an uphill battle trying to get my people to change their thinking. Yeah. That is just a building. We started doing this thing yeah. in Civic Center. We ran our services in Civic Center. We didn't complain yeah. that on Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, they were having parties in Civic Center. It didn't affect the flow of the spirit when we had our services on Sunday. <laughs> Why are you now challenging me that I can't have... Yeah. Okay, forget about the alcohol. Let Nigerian Bar yeah. Association come and use our space and have their conference. Right. Why are you challenging me yeah. that you wouldn't accept it? That is your church building. Is a sacred right. place. You people need yes. to change your thinking. One of the things that pushed mm -hmm. um, our Papa Parish and uh, Modern uh, Redeem forward was that we're doing church mm -hmm. in hotels, we're doing church in cinema halls, we're doing church in all sorts of places so that you could start a church and have it up and running in five minutes. Just get your people yeah. in there. The chairs are there. Yeah. The hall is there. Yeah. You're just paying yes. a, a monthly fee for a hall. And you are running church in a decent environment. It helps the growth of RCCG in a phenomenal way. People seem to have forgotten that. And they don't know that you can now flip the coin, have your church building, and have other people come and hold their events in your church building. So that yes. was how we designed yes. our church building. And we built it very, very simple, very, very basic, using uh, tent material and all that and all that. 
even till today, my church people are saying, when are we going to do the permanent site? And I'm smiling. And I'm saying, what more do you need? You have a space, yes. you worship, it's air-conditioned, mm -hmm. it's effective, mm -hmm. it hasn't cost us an arm and a leg, and people are coming yes. there. Why you keep bothering me yes. about so-called permanent site? You know? Uh, mm -hmm. Now we need to change our thinking. We must have buildings mm -hmm. that are multifunctional and multidynamic and multi-use mm -hmm. so that we mm -hmm. church people can also be very, very efficient in delivering our service and managing our real estate, okay? Again, mm -hmm. some churches spend so much money on rich and mortar, they didn't spend enough money on the people to develop the people, to empower the mm -hmm. people, to reassure the mm -hmm. people. Again, I had a running battle with some people mm -hmm. in my church. Why are you giving so much welfare? Why are you giving so much this? Why you giving and I simply answered them and said, the people are the church and the church is the people. It is not the building that is the church. The building is to yes. serve the people and not the people to serve the building. You have to change yes. your thinking. You have to change the way you, you, you see things. After all, Jesus Christ, most of his biggest sermons were not preached inside the building. They were built on the mountain in, in, in Jerusalem. They were built, uh, his biggest uh, uh, night, uh, what should we call, vigil was held mm -hmm. in the garden of olives. Mm -hmm. There was no building, mm -hmm. no air He was just there with his disciples holding a mm -hmm. vigil that transformed the world. His biggest sermon on the mount, 5,000 people that were simply, was built on a mountain that had natural amplification and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. the, another big church meeting he had was in a boat mm -hmm. by the Sea of Galilee. And he preached that day, mm -hmm. and some disciples, their lives changed permanently, and they started the riot called Christianity. We need to see mm -hmm. and change our mentality. You know, the problem with people mm -hmm. is that they become falsified in a certain way of thinking, and to get them mm -hmm. to shift is almost a nightmare. So, churches yeah. going forward might need to begin to think of some realistic things to do with their real estate. Yeah. We still have a few buildings to build and things to build. We're going to build them low cost. We're going to build them efficient. We're going to build them for multi-use. You know, somebody was saying mm -hmm. our children's church, uh, we need to build a school. I said, I don't, I'm not building any school. Once I have a children's church, it becomes the school. During Monday to Friday, it is the school. Sunday is the children's church. Mm -hmm. Let us have efficient mm -hmm. use of whatever God has given us. God is demanding that also. Let's stop building mm -hmm. all these great edifices, okay? Mm -hmm. Saying that we serve a big, mighty, rich God. But now God <laughs> is saying, I'm big, mighty, and rich, but I'm also efficient. Guess what happened yeah. to a lot of the cathedrals in the UK? They became flats and buildings, okay? Because mm -hmm. of law, they kept the outside. But when you go inside, you find a lovely flat. There's a church in the Piccadilly area of the uk that during the week they rent out the right. floor and the spaces into like a right. free market you know you come there you hire the space in the church you buy and sell your goods or whatever it is and then they have their services uh week midweek and uh, and uh, on sunday i think they must have just looked mm -hmm. at that primary left it in the in the in that area and they said you know what why we cannot convert it into a full selfridges or a shop 
at least some people can come here, pay us rent on a daily basis and sell their goods. Right. When I said it, I was a bit irritated. And how can you be doing this in the house of God? So thinking back now, the I church. think they, yes. they, are, they know what they're doing. And the church is almost even empty anyway. The level of evangelism in, in, in that area. So pastors, men of God, and all that, spirituality doesn't mean foolishness. Spirituality means common sense also. And doing things in a very commonsensical weather. You know what? Jesus Christ owned no real estate. He didn't have a private jet. Yet, yes. whenever he needed yes. a private jet, he yes. somebody it. was saying he had no overhead. No overhead. No overhead. He ran a very efficient ministry. Whenever he needed transportation or a private jet, he used yes. the private jet and dumped it for the owner to be fueling it and to be parking, paying parking fees. But he was very, very efficient in his movement. And we need to learn from that, you know, and mm -hmm. not getting carried away with a lot of the mm -hmm. things that we are doing. And so, I mean, talking about the, the, I mean, even in terms of this, what you're saying, certain Lagos churches, certain popular Lagos churches, um, I know after Trinity House or maybe during, um, I know Josh, um, um, uh, City of David, Joshuaville, um, Elevation Church had begun to follow that model of, you know, looking at the property itself as what it is in order to be efficient. So obviously there was already a trend in that direction. Does this help the church and many pastors? Does it force them or inspire them? You know, whatever word they're going to use, you know, is this a time of revelation for them? For does it, And it's not just this, but across board in the way that churches are run, in the way that churches are administered, in the way that evangelism is done, especially in the face of new technologies, do you think this will force them beyond just real estate to rethink the way that churches are built, run, and expanded? It doesn't force them. Very, very unfortunate. So I'm praying yes. that common sense will force them and the Spirit of God mm. will tell them that we tell need them. to rethink a few things. Church is not right. about brick and mortar. Church is more about the people. And that's very mm. important. And the brick and mortar to serve the people not the other way around. Mm. Right. Fantastic. I'm going to ask something, sir. Some people have said, look, if at this, and I asked this yesterday, um, at this time of COVID, this huge pandemic, um, the people that have been in the forefront of healing, of the healing ministry in the COVID, have been doctors, have been scientists, have been public health practitioners, have been researchers, you know, have been virologists, maybe immunologists. Those are the people that have been helping people get healed. So in that respect, does that mean, what was the whole point of healing ministries Sorry? in churches? When, what was the whole point of healing ministries in churches when now that we have the biggest global need for healing, we are turning to science and to doctors? Why aren't pastors in the forefront of healing mass people at this time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say about that question. I like the way you have put it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the truth is that <laughs> the truth is that I think again, in fairness, this has mm -hmm. put healing and spiritual mm -hmm. healing in the right perspective. 
And it's going to make a lot of pastors now admit that the healing is done by the Almighty at his own convenience. Mm, mm, mm. You need to know that they were already beginning to think that the Almighty had delegated the power of healing to them or that they were the ones healing. Mm. Uh, and again, mm. some, 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 some people were doctoring their healing as well. Now, we need to know mm. that our job mm. is to do what we can do and allow God to do what he will do and to stop mm. saying that we are the ones that did the healing or this and that and the other. And the pastor's mm. job, but the prophet's job never changes. He has a mouth mm. to pray. And where he has the boldness, he should lay hands on the sick and mm. hope that God will respect his faith and the faith of those he is praying for. Because sometimes Jesus will say to the person being healed, your own your faith. faith yes. made yes. you whole, not my prayer. Oh. Your faith. Yes. Okay? Yes. Mm, your, faith, your faith connected with my prayer. And you, mm. uh, God answered. The Bible says that mm. when Hagar was looking for uh, water for her son, Ishmael, that God heard the cry of Ishmael and responded to it, even though Hagar herself was praying. So mm. your own faith made you hold. My job is to go and pray and hope okay. that God will honor my prayer, my service, the anointing and gift he has deposited mm. in me and encourage mm. the people themselves to build up their own faith and their own hope. Mm. You know, 60% of healing is actually hope. I have prayed for a lot mm. of people before. And I was telling a friend mm. of mine recently that when mm. some people have a relative that is sick and they ask me to come and pray, I can almost mm. tell what will happen to that relative by the attitude of the people who ask me to come and pray. I can almost tell. Because the man who mm. is sick can perceive a lot of things around him. And where mm. his relatives have given up on him, when they say to mm. me, don't come and pray, uh, let God's mm. will be done, uh, this and that, mm. I know that they are giving up on the person. And the person himself knows, or she knows. Okay? But when they say, pastor, pastor, this person mustn't die. This person must leave. Everything I have, I'm ready to do. And any money I have, mm. I'm ready to spend so that this person mm. will leave. I know that my work of prayer is a bit easier. And I've mm. seen a lot of people who could have lived, but because they perceived that their folks no longer wanted them around, gave up. Okay? Mm -hmm. So a lot of it goes into this sort of thing. Okay? Um, a friend of mine, we prayed and prayed, he got healed of COVID in England because, because his relatives desperately wanted him to leave. Desperately wanted mm. They wouldn't let me rest for one minute. Desperately mm. wanted him to leave. Mm. So, we continue to peace his mm. God. We continue to beg him to have mercy and all that. And we hope he will respond. Yes. And then again, you find sometimes, to be honest, even with all due respect to the doctors, number one, mm. the original science of medicine came by divine mm. revelation. You know, some doctors 
or the people who wrote the Grey's Anatomy and all those things mm -hmm. and all those things wrote it with a combination of research, trial and error, and revelation. Why did you think of injecting this thing into this rat? Honestly, I didn't know uh, would be the reply. I just thought that if I can inject it into a rat, maybe it will work in a human being. Who brought that knowledge in the first place? Then if you ask this guy who wrote Healing Hands, this great doctor in America, he says sometimes he's going into an operation, he just prays and he's not even sure which direction to take. But as he gets into the operating theater and he begins to do the operation, some things begin to guide him and guide his hands that go here, go there, do this, do that, do the other one, do this and that, this and that. And that's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus turning to the people and saying, roll away the stone. In today's parlance, it won't be a physical Jesus standing to be the Holy Spirit saying, this is the protocol you should go through to guide this guy healing. Clean his nose, clean his hands, disinfect his hands, rub his legs, pump his chest, uh, roll him around, and just, this is the protocol. Roll away the stone. This is the protocol you should go for. If you roll away the stone and you observe this protocol, it is likely that the spirit will now wake up the man in coma and say, okay, get up now. Mm -hmm. Because when you get up, your whole body is disinfected, your body is cleaned, the inspection won't come back to your body, the stone has been rolled away. The stone of infection has been rolled away by the mm -hmm. people who can do it. Mm -hmm. And now I can bring mm -hmm. you out safely and you can your healing mm -hmm. can be of effect. This is how medicine combines with spirituality. And we pastors mm. must be the first to admit it to the people mm. that we don't have mm. any uh, prerogative of uh, power or healing. We're not God. Mm. We're mm. just messengers of God. And uh, sometimes mm. some people get healed. Sometimes some people, it is not God's wish to heal them. And we must admit that. Mm. And we must move on. Guys, it is 6.30. We have 15 more minutes. So I will take two questions. If you have questions, please type them in and I will select two of them as I keep talking to Pastor Itwa. Pastor, young people, millennials. Sometimes people talk about millennials. Well, millennials are now old. I'm a millennial. I'm now 35. I'm even talking about Generation Z. The younger people who are 25, 24, 22, 21, 19. And for many of them, it seems as if they've not been able to find answers in the church. That the complex social issues, the complex issues of, of identity, of economic inequality, of, you know, depression and anxiety, you know, all of these things that are now crucial, you know, for people who are living in this age. So it feels like for many of them, the church, and not just the church, but you are a pastor, so I'm talking about the church in this case, because there are other religions also have these questions. Like the church as it is, as it exists, and in, with its doctrinal foundations, may not be equipped to answer those questions. Now, that might be the perception that some of them have. And so they, they have begun to find answers, safe spaces, you know, a, a comfort, clarity, meaning in other kinds of social contexts. And so the church is losing that next generation. What do you say to that? 
they may be right. They may be right in that sometimes we pastors tend to preach over and above the heads of our congregation and burden them with all the uh, research, the uh, Bible study, the Bible school knowledge that we have had mm -hmm. and that we've been taught. Mm -hmm. uh, and then sometimes mm -hmm. lose our congregation completely, including the young ones. Uh, and then again, mm -hmm. I go back to Jesus Christ. Very simple, very easy to understand. And they communicated mm -hmm. with the particular audience. If you were talking to farmers, you say a farmer went to, went to sow. If you were talking to a shepherd, you say, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. Because the shepherd in Israel could relate to a sheep hearing a shepherd's voice. And then when he was talking to fishermen like uh, James and John and Peter, he would say, I will teach you how to be fishers of men. It resonated with them. It connected with them. They knew the technology of fishing for fish. Now, if you superimpose that on now fishing for men in the ocean of life, they understood it. It excited them. Okay? So we pastors now need to begin to do some research into what now are the needs of this new congregation and how do we connect the spirituality with the physical needs. This is why quite a bit of us left the Orthodox churches because there was a disconnect. Yes, yes, and yes. the Pentecostal yes. movement seemed to resonate with us. Now the Pentecostal movement is itself becoming falsified and old and archaic. Yes. So the Pentecostal yes. movement or the church movement now again needs to redefine itself to mm. meet the needs mm. of these younger ones and find how to make Christianity relevant to them. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. Moses died 2,000 mm. years ago. Why are you still mm. hanging on to his laws as though yes. those laws cannot change? Before Moses, there were laws. There were the laws of Noah. Before, after, yes. there were the laws of Abraham. After Abraham, yes. there were the laws of Joseph and Isaac because they didn't yes. document them as laws. But didn't mean they were not laws. The only advantage that Moses had was that he took time to document a lot of those laws. And by the way, they were not his original laws, all of them. Some of them were the laws of mm. the laws of Abraham, the laws of Noah, the laws of this and that. Mm. So he doesn't even mm. show authorship to all those laws. He just laws. had the privilege of being the editor of the book mm. presenting mm. it to the Israelites. After that, a few other people added on to that. Yes. Okay? Yes. And, and the law of Moses was the foundation. But then uh, yes. Elijah came and added on to it. Elijah added on yes. to it. Daniel added on yes. to it. Jeremiah added yes. on to it. And so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus has come to refine and protect everything. And then he's yes, expecting sir. Paul to add on to it. Peter, add on mm. to it. Uyedeko, uh, uh, mm. uh, add on to it. Itwa, add mm. on to it. Tony Rappu, mm. add on to it, and so on and so forth, until it goes down to the next generation. The Bible is still being written. Yes. It's not a close yes. book. Okay? Mm. What we have is the foundation of the Bible. And today, the Bible is being written in our hearts, being written in our mm. 
being written in our reaction. Okay? Now, if you say mm. the law of does not allow uh, electronic communication, how will the gospel be preached today? Here we are all mm. down. Okay? Mm. And we can't preach. In the Judaism, they say, no, 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 no. Except you go to the temple. You can't, is your service, your worship is not accepted. God is looking for those who will worship him, not on the mountains or in the temples, but who will worship him in spirit. And that's what we're doing. We're worshiping in spirit and in truth. So we need to sit with the millennials and find yes. out what is relevant to their needs without yes, compromising sir. the fundamentals. If your millennial chooses to wear jeans or trousers, mm. it's not a fundamental. Mm. What is fundamental is the motive behind the wearing of those trousers and jeans. Going uh, jogging or going mountain climbing or going horseback riding and you're insisting mm. that they must wear shirts mm. or wear this mm. and that, you mm. love them because they are going mountain climbing. A mountain climber wears trousers. And there's nothing unholy about climbing mountains. It's mountains. Mountain. Mm. You cannot doctrinize that. Mm -hmm. So we must yes, separate doctrine from principle and so mm. on and so forth. Okay? And so we must have clarity in our message. Mm. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, because it was mm -hmm. right for Elijah doesn't mean it was right for Elisha. Elisha and Ish. Elijah were two different people preaching slightly different gospels. Different. Mm. You understand? Mm. We need mm. to understand that. The millennials, mm. are, I mean, my I learned education. First of all, we started with the Abacus, went to the slate, the computer was introduced to us. But today, there's no way I can take my children back to the Abacus or the slate or even mm -hmm. the calculator. It doesn't work. It cannot mm. happen. My daughter uses the iPad at age eight better than me. Yes, I'm almost 60. Okay, I'll take one more question because I know you absolutely have to leave at 6.45. And this is from the, I'll take one question from the audience. Pastor what is your take on prosperity gospel? And do you see some sort of revolution and a breakaway from the prosperity gospel that is presently being propagated? Money is good, but money is not the essence of life. You know, and we must not also lock ourselves into this mammonic desire for prosperity. Mm. You know, we need to mm. be careful mm. about that. Uh, the Bible mm. also says contentment is great gain. Mm. We are content is great gain. You know, this pandemic, mm. we have quite a few suits, okay? but I've not used one of them. And I'm looking at them in my wardrobe every day, and it's giving me a headache as to do I really need this number? <laughs> this suits, yes. yes. To be honest. There are yes. people out there who don't even have one. Maybe I should mm. give some of them to them. And I've been started giving them out one by one. Hey, you mm. take one. Mm. You don't have a Hey, you take one. The price I paid for them is no longer relevant because I no longer really need them. We need to understand mm. that we we gospel the, Jesus Christ mm. is totally the gospel of what you really need to do what you have to mm. do. If they do a mm. thousand people party with ten cases of champagne, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good party. 
a good party yes. is a different party where everybody in the party mm. is simply happy and their needs are satisfied. Not that some people come in there and they have headache at the flamboyance and the mere prosperity of what you have done and you have really, really sent them home depressed. You know, a lot of people leave parties yeah. in Lagos, they go home depressed. They go home depressed mm. because mm. they hear the sheer flamboyance of that party depresses them. Mm. Then the next day they go mm. to their work and they are looking for how they can steal money so that one day they can have mm. that kind of party. It's not right. It's absolutely mm. right. Mm. Even some churches are doing mm. They give you environments that depress other people so that the poor can't enter the church. They feel intimidated. Mm. No. Your mm. synagogue will be a place where the rich are comfortable, the poor are inspired, mm. and they're not oppressed. Mm. They have their own place. Mm. They are happy to be there. Mm. Nobody can push them off their chair. You understand? And the rich also is okay. He doesn't feel that you've brought his standards down. Okay? So you must find a balance for the people. And the gospel too must find a balance for the people. The poor yes, are inspired. Sir. The rich are comfortable. Yes, and are comfortable. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, one, of the, one of the commenters, my friend Rufa says, she commented and said, if I wasn't sitting down, I'll be jumping and screaming. I'll be jumping and screaming. Thank you so much, sir, for joining me. This has been a blast. And based on the comments I see, the audience has loved this as well. I'm very grateful to you for joining Retail Religion on the Future of Faith. And I look forward to having this kind of conversation again. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you for everything that you're doing. And God bless you all in Jesus' name.